0: Welcome to Money Over 50 with Dallas and Michael, uh, part two of biases today. Um, we're here to talk about why
1: we struggle to fix our mistakes. Thanks, Michael. So, obviously, if you haven't to the previous podcast, that uh, these hopefully will all flow together very neatly. They, they do in my head. So, we talked previously about why, why it's hard to make a right decision in the first place. Our... You know, our our lizard brain, as, as I call it, our uh, subconscious mind can lead us in the wrong direction when it comes to how to make the, the right decision for us based on you know, our situation and all the information we have at, at hand in the future. And one of the final points we made there wrapping up was that one of the reasons that hard, that's hard is that we need to get comfortable with the idea that we might actually... We might know the right answer. It's not always black and white, and there's not always a, a clear um, cut winner of what is the best decision to make. And so, this part what we're talking about today is, I guess, why we struggle to why we struggle to fix our mistakes is that before we even get into, you know, I guess the, the first thing to, to to touch on there is that. We've got to get comfortable with the idea that when we are trying to trying to get somewhere so everyone's listening to this is is looking at where are we going to try and end up in ten years' time we're making decisions we're all out there trying to do things that are going to put us in the best position. you're not going to get it right every time, so there are going to be mistakes there are going to be decisions that may not necessarily be really poor decisions, but it might just be not what's best for you so what we're talking about here is is what are the what are the the psychological biases that that kick into gear that really stop us facing up to the reality of the decisions that we've made in the past and and how to go about accepting that there, there has been a mistake that's been made or something that's gone wrong and 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 how how do we then work past that and then fix those things and and put ourselves in the best possible position moving forward so the first one of, I guess, why we struggle to fix our mistakes and, and this also is why we struggle to make some of the initial decisions that, that we know that we're, we're afraid of getting it wrong is loss aversion. So mm. what this means is that we feel the pain of loss much more than we feel the pleasure of gain. So very common with this one is that when people are looking at investing, um, you know, if, if you've got $500,000 in your superannuation account, Watching that five hundred thousand go to six hundred thousand feels pretty good. It feels okay, but watching that five hundred thousand drop to four hundred thousand feels very, very painful. So it's Mm. it's the same the same dollar figure. It's it's Mm. the same hundred thousand. But yeah, basically, we feel the pain of loss much more than the pleasure of gain. And that again is a useful thing. But it's it's sometimes a struggle when we look at when we're looking at this over the very long term. Is sometimes those decisions that we make we we need to make a decision that is going to put us in the best position in 10 years time but to get there we sometimes need to ride out some short term pain and and this is the thing that the, the human mind really struggles with yeah look
0: um and, and we see people make significant mistakes that they will struggle to recover from yeah based on this that, yeah that that's it maybe based on information bias as well <laughs> from the first installment but um, but that example there so in uh, March of 2020 we saw markets drop by 37 you know, percent around the world Australia and the world because of coronavirus um, what we because of overreaction to coronavirus what we see is that is people couldn't take the pain of that so mm-hmm. they saw their balance drop from 500 to four hundred thousand dollars say. So, so what do they do? Um, you know, they sold all of their their you know, good quality companies that they yep. owned yep. Uh, for seventy five cents in the dollar or seventy cents in the dollar or whatever it was um, mm-hmm. at that point in time just to stop that
1: pain. Yeah, because it couldn't take that short term loss. And and that's it. that's a yeah a really good point there is that yeah it's we're talking about why we struggle to fix our mistakes, but it's also some a lot of this is why we struggle to. Well, we struggle to write out things where there's the mistake in this case mm. would actually be be panicking and selling mm. and moving your superannuation into cash. So we're not saying that investing in that way is a mistake. We're saying that once your super balance has dropped from 500,000 to 400,000 you're feeling a lot of you're feeling a lot more pain than than what than the pleasure that you would feel if that went from 500 to 600. So again, the human condition is that when we are experiencing that emotion we want to react we want to do something based on that we feel a lot of that pain so we tend to want to you know and that's what people do at that point in time is that they they panic and they say move into cash and they crystallize that loss and in the short term that helps because you don't have any pain anymore because you're not seeing your balance keep dropping but this is, I guess, the, the point for most people is that if you're 10 years out from retirement, you really need to work that money as hard as possible. You can't afford to be so averse to loss that, you, that you're that you not working that money at all and that you're having it sitting in a bank account. So for most people, they have to have that money invested. And if you have to have that money invested, you have to also accept that there is there is going to be some short-term drops. And if we, if we fall prey to this loss aversion bias, what we're going to do is we're going to React too much to mm. to the to the bad times, and we're going to react too much to when there's those drops. So again, to to minimise and avoid, yeah. um, start
0: with the long term view in mind. Yeah, we we talk often about what is the job of that money. Yeah. So if the job of that five hundred thousand yeah. dollars is to make its way to one point six million dollars. Yeah. Then with that comes yeah. the should come the the implication that there is going to be volatility. So it yeah. is going to happen. It's not if, it's when. Yep. Yeah. Um and and then practically yeah. if you just don't log into your account yeah. and don't read the news the, yeah. I can't stand reading the news. Yeah. <laughs> it's just bad yeah. news all the time. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean I, I, I tend not to to yeah. especially during times of volat- volatility, if you're prone to yeah. making right. the wrong decision, you think you might be prone, just yeah. tune out. Yeah. Just tune out. Don't log into your That's account exactly balance. Right. And so that, tune out of the news. Yeah. Um it, it's 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 always tilted towards the bad news yeah. and none to the good news. Yes. So, um,
1: the second one, endowment is the endowment effect. effect. It is. This is an, uh, it's an. It's a funny one, I find, because you don't tend to see it. So, loss aversion causes a lot of people a lot of financial grief, and you really see mm. it ruin a lot of people's financial lives. The endowment effect tends to be uh, <coughs> more something that is interesting, more so than a real huge mm. cost to, to people. But it is. It can sometimes be a big. Um, thing that's stopping people from fixing their mistakes and what it means the endowment effect is that anything that you own becomes automatically more valuable to you Mm. Um, now and when i say that the reason that we sometimes struggle to fix our mistakes is we've made that decision we've bought an asset it now becomes automatically more valuable than than what it really is Mm. so and this ties into the loss aversion thing a bit is that if we buy an asset we think it's more valuable than than what it is it then gets compounded if if uh, if you know, the price of that asset drops a little bit. It's then a twofold effect where it's dropped a little bit below what it's actually worth. But in our mind, it's it's worth far more than that because because we own it, we feel like it's worth much more than that again. So, I'll, I've got a great example. What is it? Uh, we're looking for a house for my mother, so she
0: lives in a high-set house and she's yeah. becoming yeah. elderly and, and, and it's going to suit her yeah. more to have a low-set house yeah. closer to where I live. Yeah. Um, so so the endowment effect, because um, we're talking about what we think we'll be able to sell her, house her existing house for. Yeah. And she's got a figure that's well above what, yeah, and, and yeah, she cites. But it's got beautiful hardwood floors yeah. and all these <laughs> yeah. types of things. Yeah, there's no doubting that. Yeah, but yeah. there's other parts that yes. are, that are yeah. that are falling apart oh, and yeah. that we haven't repaired for a while. Yeah, and yeah. then just yesterday, talking because we're looking at a house and I talked to the real estate agent yeah. on the phone, and I said um, we're a long way away from what the owner is asking for. Yeah, and I said to her. I would hate to be in your job, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. because I imagine yes, every single owner yep thinks that their um, house is more with valuable. the endowment effect, thinks that their house is worth more than it actually is yep. comparatively to what's available on the market. Yeah, every single purchaser yeah is, is starting in a position yep. far south of that. That's right. Yeah, so she has yep. to, find yep. The yep. Agent and to find some sort of middle ground. Yeah, she laughed, um, which uh means it is true means <laughs> that, that <laughs> no, it is true but but, like, but 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 just that example yeah. um uh what the owner is asking for yeah. is is well north yeah of what the house is actually worth I had a value, paid for a valuation yes. on this house to get a yeah. valuation so yeah. they're asking for, yep. for for something north and, and I imagine they would be citing the same things as my mother exactly so right. it's, yeah. you know, it's got this it's got that it's got yeah. these things yeah, yeah but it's also got um, yeah. a roof that leaks and it's got this and it's got
1: <laughs> and, some wood rod and, and what will thing, thing, probably I'd happen say. is that your mother will sell her house for $30,000 less than what she thinks it's worth and yep. she'll feel like she's been sissed up there but then she'll go and buy this house for $30,000 less than what well, that owner thinks part. it's worth yeah neither of them at any moment, you know, taking into account the fact that that is probably just what is fair market value. It's mm-hmm. just they both have an inflated view of their own asset. And that's, yeah. again, it, you know, we use, houses are the, are the really easy one because it's, because we, you know, we live in it, we know it, we you know how much work's gone into it all. You, you really think it's more valuable, but, it's no different to a- any other asset. You know, we talked about if you've got a, a, a racehorse or a mob of cows or you own shares in a company, that, the company that you own shares is, automatically becomes more valuable than the one next door. If, yes. I, if I own shares in NAB, then I that NAB is more valuable than, than ANZ because of all these reasons that I can list for you. But in reality, it's really only because I, I own shares in that. I'm looking for reasons why it's, it's going to be more valuable. If I was honest with myself, I'd go, it's just because I own shares in it. Well, I find this one, the endowment effect, ties in nicely with the third one
0: you have listed here, Dallas, anchoring bias. Tell us about anchoring bias. Yeah. Because um, I find that they, the
1: two sort of yep. act yep. interchangeably. They are, know? they are. And and I guess, and then I'll the head how to, to minimize and avoid them is the same sort of for both of them. So anchoring bias is that we, we focus on a piece of information in the past. And generally that piece of information is what did I pay for this asset? So, you hear this all the time again with the house. For the last ten years here in, in Townsville, property values have have gone sort of sideways or down in in some cases. And I've had many, many, many conversations with people where I say, "This investment property, what's it worth?" And someone will say, "Oh, well, I paid three fifty for it." And I'm going, "That's that's not the question I ask. What what's the property worth now?" And and in their mind, that property is worth three hundred and fifty thousand dollars because that's what they paid for it now. Mm. We all know that that's not, that's not, that really has no bearing on what, what the property would sell for on the open market tomorrow. The, mm-hmm. the buyer of that property doesn't ask you, hey, what did you pay for it? Oh, okay, fair's fair, I'll give you that amount. Mm-hmm. They just go, what are corresponding properties like it next door to it selling for? And I'll give you that amount of money for it and, and no more. So yeah, we focus on that piece of information of, you know, what did, or, or those types of pieces of information at the exclusion of what is the reality of, of that valuation. I find this a real sticking point for people, yeah, so
0: um if they paid yeah four hundred thousand dollars for a house, yeah, and they're looking at selling it um further to what you just said they the they list it for four hundred thousand dollars now yeah. an offer comes in for three hundred and eighty five thousand dollars that's the best offer, yeah. You and I both know that that's what that house that's, is that's worth. worth. It's the only yeah. offer on the table. It's the yeah. highest offer. Yeah. Um, people really, really struggle to mm. sell that for a $15,000 loss. Yeah. They to don't. the detriment of their longer term because what we often see is they'll hold that for another five, six, seven years yeah. and someone will offer them $401,000 yeah. seven years yeah. later yeah, yeah. and they'll sell it yeah. for $401,000 and think they've had a win out of it. Yep. Yeah. Um. The opportunity cost of actually holding it for that for yes. that length of time, with what they could have done with that money, yeah, it's huge. Um, is usually Far more. means that they've made they've made a big mistake there. Yeah, but they just yeah. cannot get their head around selling something for yeah. a, a loss. The endowment effect and anchoring bias, I think, both yeah. tie
1: in there. And, and the other one you touched on it a minute ago, Michael, about with, with the loss aversion thing of um, the the high watermark of of what. It's something's it, not just what you paid for it, but what was the the highest price it was worth at some point in mm-hmm. time. And so, uh, I guess a bit of a different one, but I had uh, clients who were uh, getting ready to retire earlier this year, and their earlier sort of in twenty twenty sorry, and their super balance had grown very quickly, had grown beyond the point where it needed to be for them to retire. Mm-hmm. So they needed about one point. Uh, $1.5, $1.6 million, it had shot up to $1.7 and they were getting ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Now, um, COVID happened, the balance dropped significantly and then started to pick back up. And And when I was talking about, hey, we talked about you, you need to be in, the, and their super balance had picked back up to $1.5 million. So it dropped from $1.7 to about $1.4 and then was back at about $1.5. And when we were talking about when are they able to retire, it was interesting because they and I didn't realise this, but they they kept talking about one point seven. As well, we've got to wait for that to get back to one point seven. And I kept saying, well, that doesn't. That's not the figure that we're looking for. And then I realised that that's what that's what was happening was that they'd had a they'd picked that figure as that's the high watermark. I need to get back to that figure. Mm. And and it was only when I sort of uh, understood that that I could break down that. well, No, let's go back to why do we need one point five million. You know this. This is the income that you're going to need. You need this amount to to draw out every year. They they then understood that and accepted it, and and that was fine. They were mm-hmm. able to then make their retirement decision based on that. But it was just interesting to see that that's a figure that we latch onto and go, well, that's what that's what that was at, and that's a really meaningful figure. But it doesn't it doesn't actually really mean anything. That that's just a no. point in time in the past. So what do you do about uh, what do you do about... So the endowment effect, endowment effect and, the and the anchoring bias, bias, like I said, they're trying, so the, the the easy way to minimise avoid this is really to try and, two parts are to try and treat uh, everything or every investment, every asset, as if someone else owns it mm-hmm. um, and try to treat each, each investment or each asset as if you are deciding for the first time what you should do about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, going back to... Your mum's example is rather than thinking about her house as, well, I think it's worth more because it, think of it as, okay, if I was walking into this house and I'd never lived in this place, hadn't lived in it in the last 30 years like I know she has, what would I really be seeing here? What would the reality be of this house? Oh, I'd probably go, there's a bit of work that needs to be done here and, yeah, there's some nice floors, but the kitchen needs to be replaced or, or something like that. And that's, I think, a big part of it is to... Now, the endowment effect in particular is, is to treat that investment as if someone else owns it, and and you're just looking at it for the first time. And then the second part of that is, if if you were if you had to decide what to do about that based on what you know right now, would you still own that asset? Would you sell it? Would you buy it at that price? And that's that's I guess the two parts that tie in together for that for that endowment and the and the anchoring. Buyer. And the other thing that I add to anchoring bias is the
0: opportunity costs. Yep. So um, what we find is, is people become fixated, using that same example, the best offer for the house that they paid $400,000 for that they're looking to sell is $385,000. Yep. They become fixated on that difference. Yep. And because the figure is lower, they need to hold it for longer. Mm-hmm. What they really need to be looking at is, hey, I have $385,000 here that I could do something else with in everything that I know, yes, what's the best decision? Is there I mean? a better opportunity to put yep. that money, even though I know that I'm yep. like on paper only yep. taking yep. a $15,000 yep. loss. You and I would say they're selling for for yep. what the market yep. is going to pay for yep. that. That's right. But, um, but, but there's an opportunity cost there. The, the people that's need right. to actually look at what are the other opportunities with that money, that sum
1: of money, even though I'm taking what I consider to be a nominal loss. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And that's, so the next, the next two biases actually tied directly into, into what, you, what we we're just saying there as, as to how to minimise and avoid that. And, and the way to minimise and, and the effects of these next two biases are much the same, is to look at it with that fresh set of eyes. And, and the next one is the, the status quo bias, and that is the preference to keep things as they are. So we see this all the time. is People will stick to a strategy, even if it isn't the right fit for them, now or anymore or based on the information that they now have they didn't have just because that's the way that they've been doing things and that's Mm -hmm. what they what they sort of uh what they know and they've so that's the status quo bias And and it ties into the next one here which is the sunk cost bias which is that we act against our own best interest based on decisions that we made in the past so people will you know, five years ago, made a decision around, and this is what this, this part of this puzzle is all about, is if we made a decision five years ago, whether it was the right decision five years ago or not, or, you know, should we have made a different decision at that point in time, none of that even really matters. What we really need to look at now is that forget about the decision that I made five years ago. Forget about what it's cost me to, to you know, to follow that strategy for the last five years right now with what i have at hand and what i know and all the information that i have and the people i have around me what is the best decision for me what should i do and and that's that's really the, these two—the status quo bias and sunk cost bias—are are also tied into that. I see the sunk cost bias a lot on rom coms, where um, <laughs> you know the girl's dating
0: a guy and he's yeah. a bit of a dud. Yeah, yeah, but she's I've been with him for five years. he's putting on wage yeah. and he's not hes yeah. he has gone from full-time work to only part-time yeah. work. Yeah. yeah, but I've put five or six years yeah. in with yeah, him, and right. it's, yeah. we're, we're at the stage now where we're supposed to be getting engaged, and yeah. I've wasted all that time. Yeah. even though he's not the the right fit for me. Yeah. If, yeah. I, if I if I break crashes. it off with him right now, <laughs> yeah. I've wasted those last five or six years. Yeah, that's sunk.
1: That's yeah. sunk cost bias that you That's about. exactly right. It, is that the way to approach that? Is that 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 time, that money, that whatever that resource is that you've already given up, it's it's gone. That mm. that, that time and money is gone. You, know, you now have a decision to make as to where you are, it, and this, the sunk cost one is, is a really hard one to to get around because it's you know, again tying into for. If you you bought a property for 300,000 and you've put 50,000, there's all these tying together where you buy a property for 300,000, you thought that was going to be your retirement savings vehicle, um, you expected it to double, you, you've got this anchoring thing in your mind of it's going to be worth 600 in the future, then you spend the next five years you know, patching things up and you have to carry it for a couple of months while there's no tenant in it. And in your mind, it becomes this, this thing where you go, I've already put all this time and energy and effort into this thing. It's, it has to pay off. Otherwise, all that is a waste. But the reality of it is that the same thing and the way to minimise that is just treat that investment or we'll treat each of these decisions as, right, if I had a fresh set of eyes here and I was coming in looking at this for the first time, what's the best decision for me based on all the information that I now have to hand? And the last one familiarity bias so this is just uh, I guess it's similar to the to the status quo bias there it's just that we prefer things that we are familiar with and um, again it's it's a bit of a bit more of a niche one but we we see things like this where people tend to invest too much in companies that are just headquartered in their in their home country so there there's what they call the home country bias where mm-hmm. people who live in Australia will invest one hundred percent of their retirement savings in Australian companies because they know the they know the brand names, they shop them, they see them in the shops, they they understand the, the whole system in the same way that people will live in a certain street and they'll buy an investment property that's next door to them just because it's they're, they're familiar with that, they know it, they can see it, it's something that's, that's right there. So this is a, like I say, a lot of these decisions are all tying together. It's that familiarity bias, again, by i can this is particularly one like the sunk cost bias, where i can understand why that incentive is there is because you know ten thousand years ago if you went out on a limb and did something completely different that you you know went somewhere completely new you didn't know anything about the lay of the land you didn't have around you you didn't have any of those um you know safety nets you're probably going to get eaten or run out of food or something bad was going to happen whereas with the world we're in now it really pays to to push outside of your comfort zone and that's what i've got here is how to minimize that is you really need to push outside your own comfort zone and, and it, you know look for look for other information for other opportunities other ways to think about things rather than just stick to to what you know or what you're familiar with yeah and for me uh, arity
0: virus bias what am i talking about virus <laughs> <laughs> got coronavirus to yeah. the brain uh, for me, it's a very hard word to say. Mm-hmm. Bias the biggest problem that I see of that is an under
1: diversification yeah. problem. Yeah. So it, 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 it lends itself to under diversification. Yeah, that's right. Which is it, yeah. which is a, it's kind of those things where it becomes a, people tend to take on more and more risk, more concentration risk, while while simultaneously feeling more and more comfortable with it, which is what's dangerous. And, you know, For example, we, we see this where someone might work for a company and they know that company, they know the, the inner workings of it and they will want to invest their whole retirement savings in mm. that company as well because yeah. it's, it, it feels more comfortable. They know it, they're familiar with it. Mm. You know, what you then have is, is twice the risk basically which is that you've got your whole, your whole human capital, your, your career tied up with that company as well as all of your financial capital, all of your retirement savings, just invested in that one company. So, you're not you're not spreading you you're not diversifying. Oh, well if something goes wrong with this company or well, they go bankrupt, then I'll lose my job, but it's okay because my retirement savings are elsewhere. You're really tying everything all in together, and and the same thing happens. Like I was saying before, with uh, people tend to want to buy. Rental properties in the same area or in the same street as where they, where they live because they know it and they feel comfortable with it. Now, if you, if you buy your next door property as a rental property, something goes wrong with the, you know, the property value in that region drops or you know, someone, the housing commission house moves in next door and drops the value of your property. It's not just your house that drops in value, it's your rental property as well. So you, you've really taken on a fair bit more risk and a lot less diversification in that case, but it feels better because we're more... Yeah, and, and looking at an extreme too, you see people with three
0: or four or five properties in the same, yeah. not necessarily in the same street, but maybe the, the same, same suburb, area. same yeah. town, same yeah. city, yeah. Um, which is which is significantly
1: under-diversified. Yeah, no, that's right. So, and And that's, I guess, the point of a lot of these things is that yeah, it, it's again. We have to bear in mind all these different biases. These are. There's a reason why. We've evolved to want to make decisions and sort of stick to them, and not have to have a look at it and have a think about it. And this is also what we, um, like we've said before, some of our value is just being an impartial sort of third party where someone comes in to see us for the first time and goes, "Well, this is the strategy that I've been that I've been following." Or this is Roughly what I've been doing. It's kind of easy for us to look at it and go, well, yeah, this bit of it really makes a lot of sense, but this other bit probably isn't mm. the best fit for you now, or isn't quite the best way that you could use those resources. Mm. Because we're not attached to that, we weren't involved in the initial decision making. Where you know we're not the one who's looking at that, uh, you know, hasn't hasn't lived with it for the last five years. It's easier for us to come in and, and help make these decisions and and help make to you know, fix anything that, that need, or change anything that needs to be changed. And and I think that's probably, you know, we've talked about mistakes, but some of these things are not necessarily even mistakes. They're just, you know, is that the absolute best decision for, for someone at the situation they're in now? You're listening to part two of our Biases podcast
0: series, uh, Why We Struggle to Fix Our Mistakes. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Money Over 50 podcast with Money Over 50 Financial Advisors. We look forward to catching up again soon.